I'm preaching this morning from the book of Philippians chapter 2. If you want to turn to the second chapter, I want to read verses 1 through 11. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. If therefore there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although He existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied Himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Bernard of Clairvaux said there are four cardinal virtues. The first is humility. The second is humility. The third is humility. And the fourth is humility. The cardinal virtue of humility. Humility is a difficult virtue to possess. Mac Davis had a song, it's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way, but I tell you, it's hard to be humble, period. And, and, I, and I have to admit that the lesson of humility is the one I most resist, although I've had a few church members across the years who have tried their best to teach me uh, that lesson of humility. And when you get humility and you put it in a body and you have bones and skin and flesh and blood and hair, what you come out with is a servant. And that's what this passage is about. That in Jesus Christ, Humility was enfleshed so that what you see when you see humility enfleshed is a servant and servanthood. Now there is a, a quality of life that is difficult to own. 
Be careful when you say, I just want to be like Jesus. You know, piously you say, well, I just want to be like Jesus. Be careful. The Apostle Paul would say, oh, yeah, you do, huh? Okay, well, this is how you do it. He says, um, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, let each regard another, not one's own personal interest, but the interests of another. Uh, you, really, you, you want to be like Jesus, do you? Okay, well, he emptied himself and became obedient unto death. I've tried all the hoods, and, and I must tell you that they're all difficult. I've tried adulthood. And it's a whole lot easier being a kid, you know, and somebody can take care of you than to have responsibility of your own. I've tried brotherhood. That's tough. There's some folks you just can't get along with. You've heard the little ditty? Oh, to live and love with the saints above, that'll be glory. But to live below with some of the saints I know, well, that's another story. That's true. There are some in the brotherhood that you just can't get along with. It's tough. I've tried parenthood, and I'm not going to bore you with the gory details of how tough that is. I, I've tried that, but I must tell you that servanthood is the hardest of all. And so I've spent 30 years trying to find out the secret of how I can enflesh humility and live out servanthood. Calvin Miller was telling about going across Nebraska in the family car. I had his family with him and they were traveling across Nebraska and they got behind this cattle truck. He said, anytime you go across Nebraska, you're going to be behind a cattle truck. And he said, somebody had scratched on the back of that cattle truck in the muck and the grime and the filth. A four-letter word unmentionable word, especially in a Baptist church. And he said, we had our Aunt Hetty with us and my kids were in the back seat. He said, I was hoping, oh, I hope my kids don't see that word. And he said, we had this little, we had a, we had a little boy who was having trouble spelling and reading. And we had challenged him at any time he saw a word for him to call it out, you know, to spell it out and see if he could pronounce it phonetically. And he said, I was hoping, oh, don't let him see that word. And he said, as we went around the truck, he saw the word. <laughs> he, he, he called it out, letter after agonizing letter. And he, he pronounced it phonetically. And he said, Aunt Hetty had a stroke. <laughs> and he said, my wife's gold earrings melted and, 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 and ran down on the Bible. <laughs> and he said, I was thinking, son... Why is it that you resist this challenge to call out the words and say them phonetically, but you said that one? Why is it? And he said, my little boy said from the back seat, Dad, have you ever noticed that all the hard words are usually made up of three or four letters? How prophetic. The hard words for me are words like L-O-R-D. I spent 30 years trying to find out how to handle that word. Words like O-B-E-Y, that's a tough word. 
And, and when, I, when, I, when I get to where I can handle the L-O-R-D word, maybe I can handle the old B-E-Y word. But for 30 years I've been trying to figure out how to do that. And so I'm really not qualified to preach this sermon, really. But the Apostle Paul is. So I'm just going to tell you what he said. And he said in verse 2, he said, The thing that would make me the happiest in all the world is this, that you have the same kind of attitude I have, the attitude of servanthood that enfleshes humility. I love it. And he gives us a profile of servanthood. In verse 7 he says that the servant's head is always bowed. He emptied himself, he said. The word is kenosis. And the great kenotic uh, theology suggests that he laid aside privilege. Now it doesn't mean that when Jesus became a man he laid aside deity, that he gave up the Godhead. It doesn't mean that at all. He was very man of very man, but very God of very God. He was as much man as if he'd never been God, but he was as, a, as much God as if he'd never been man. He didn't lay aside his deity, his Godhead. He laid aside the privileges of it, the rights of it. You get the picture? Can you imagine what it must be like to be son of king? Huh. What about son of king of kings? What about son of creator of kings? Unlimited resources unconditional authority, unapproachable glory, unfathomable pleasure. He laid aside that. That's what it means. To bow the head means to lay aside privilege, something you and I resist. We cling to privilege and we demand our rights and we push upward for position and we think we've done something great if we give up our favorite television program about once a month to go visiting. Me? Give up privilege? Seldom. Reluctantly? Always. Joyfully? Never. Never. We know something about the clenched hand or the extended hand, but with strangers to the bowed head. Jesus told an interesting story. In the 17th chapter of Luke, he said, Let the servant say when he has obeyed all the commandments, I am an unprofitable servant because I have done only what I ought to have done. Amazing. Can you imagine a person who obeys the commandments say, after he's done all of them, I'm an unprofitable servant because I have done only what I ought to have done. A servant is one who lays aside every right and every privilege. This guy where I was preaching this week told me about a preacher friend of his. He had a, he had a black man in his church. looked like a black Arnold Schwarzenegger. He's muscled up. Marvelous physique. He said... He put on little shorts and tank top and ran through the neighborhood to make all the white sissies, you know, look bad. <laughs> I guess all white, all those white sissies look, look bad. He said one day, right in the height of, the, uh, of some of the race riots, this black athlete, wonderful physique, was out jogging. And a carload of white, young white men came around 
and they shouted obscenities at him and they thrust their middle finger at him and they spat out the window at him. He said the spit flew in his face. He said they roared off. He said my black deacon said I wanted to he said, I was enraged. He said, hatred welled up in me. He said, I wanted to get the car, tear the bumper off and beat them about the head and neck. He said, I probably could have if I'd have caught the car. But he said, then as I jogged along, God spoke to my spirit about servanthood and said to me, you're not the only man who has had spit somebody else's dry on his face. So you want to be like servant, huh? Let me tell you about servanthood. It's the, it's the God of gods, the King of kings, and He laid aside that privilege for spit somebody else's. Servant's head is always bowed. Servant's heart is always yielded. Verse 8. He said, and he became obedient unto death. I think he must have been talking about Gethsemane. See him in that garden writhing in agony as he claws the ground. And it wasn't the anticipated pain that caused him to recoil, for all along he had been praying to the Father that he would help him to go on dying. It wasn't that that caused him to recoil. It was the fact that he was soon to become sin for us who had never known sin. That's what caused him to recoil. The anticipation that one day he would become sin, that God would place on him the sin bearer, the sin of us all, and he'd never even been close to it before. He had always said no to sin. He had always said yes to purity and righteousness and goodness. And the very thought of that caused him to writhe in the garden in agony. It was the anticipation that soon this one who was enthroned in marvelous light with 10,000 angels always attending him would soon be abandoned in the darkness by his father to die alone. The thought of that, that, that he would know aloneness from the Father and he had never known a moment that they had not been in perfect fellowship. It was that that caused him to recoil. But there in the garden, there in Gethsemane, the wine press it's called, there he yielded his heart. There he said, Father you do whatever you want to with me, you take me wherever you want me to go. That's the yielded heart. Now, I found a passage. I want you to find it too. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 11. I want you to turn to it. Now, don't let your wife turn. You just peek over there. You get, you, you get your Bible, and we're going to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Now, I've, I've read this passage before, but I, I missed verse 23. Verse 23. Boy, I'm, I'm so glad to be back home. I'm having a good time preaching here at the best church in the world. And so you, 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 uh, you understand it. You know, it takes me about two weeks to get over it. But I, I am so glad to be back. Verse 23. And now, here's the question. Are they servants of Christ? He's talking about these Jews who are claiming to be servants, just like you and me. I'm a servant of the Lord. 
we say. I'm a servant of the Lord. He said, are they really servants of Christ? Then he says something strange. He said, I'm talking like an insane man. What I'm about to say, you're going to think I'm crazy when you hear it. Because I'm going to tell you what is the measure of servanthood. He said, three times I've been beaten by the Jews. Thirty-nine times a, a, a time. Thirty-nine lashes at a time. Look at that. Five times, he said, I received. Three times I was beaten with rods. rods. Josephus says that when a man was beaten with rods, most of them never were able to bear children after that. And almost in every case, when a man received a beating by rod, the rod beating, they had to, they had to commit them to an insane asylum. They went absolutely crazy. He said, I was beaten three times like that. And he said, I've been stoned. Now there is a law in the Jews that, that you couldn't hurl a stone that was bigger, so large, you, you know, the, the law said you could hurl a stone only large enough that you could throw it 10 feet. If he couldn't throw it 10 feet, if it's that big, you couldn't throw it. Now that was, that was real good of them, you know. <laughs> but, but they did, they did you know, so when you got a man down, they would take these huge, huge boulders, that wasn't 10 feet, and they'd just walk over these boulders and drop it on them, crushing their chest and smashing their skulls. Apostle Paul said, I've been stoned. As a matter of fact, I was reading recently that when Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians about that vision which he went to the second heaven, to the third heaven, and saw things that nobody else has ever seen, this guy said he believes that when Paul was stoned, he died and went to heaven and then came back. Now that's another deal. But you didn't survive a stoning under normal situation because they bring these boulders up and they drop them on you. And then he goes on, he said, I've been thrown out of ships and all kinds of... He said, you want to be a servant? You say you're a servant? Are you ready for that? Paul, do you love me? You bet I love you, Lord. I'll do anything in the world for you. I'll even take a beating by rods. Do you love the people I love? Do you love the people I care about? You bet I do, Lord. You turn to the ninth chapter of Romans sometime, the first verse says, Paul speaking, he says, I bear witness, my conscience bears witness to what I say. I lie not. The Holy Spirit bears witness to me. Lord, you send me to hell. Send me to hell. Let me go to hell if it means that my brethren, the Jews, will be saved. You ready for that? You say your heart is yielded to the Lord because you turn off the television once a month and go visiting or you give $1,000 to the church after all the IRS is going to get it anyway. You say you've got a yielded heart. He said you, you, you want to be a servant. The servant's heart is always yielded to the point of death. Are you ready for that? Third, the servant's knee is always bent. Verse 10, when I lead somebody to the Lord, I like to have them kneel. First thing, because I want them to understand that from the very beginning, we're bowing before a sovereign God. And, and there's something about just getting down that distance, the distance to your knees, that just kind of says, I accept His authority. 
I accept his sovereignty, his will, his control over my life. I like, I like to have people kneel when they're first saved because I want them to begin with this attitude that, that they're bowed before the sovereignty and the authority of another. They are surrendering that to another. Now watch carefully. When he talks about the bent knee, it means two things. He means, first of all, that one is surrendering the control of his life to someone else, the possession of it to someone else. There are three incontrovertible, tr incontrovertible truths I want you to get this morning. The first is this. There are two powers in this world seeking to control you. Secondly, you're under the control of one of those two powers. Third, no one can be under the control of both powers at once. It's not a matter of freedom. The only freedom you and I have is the freedom to choose who's going to take possession of our life. You are not your own, you're bought with a price. The yielded heart is the heart that recognizes I no longer am in possession of this life. I no longer am in control of it. I am no longer my own. I've surrendered that to the authority and the ownership of someone else. The bent knee means the second thing. It means that I've surrendered not only the control, the operation of my life to someone else. Sometime not long ago, I drove into a little gas station down by San Antonio, and over the door of that little gas station were these words, owner slash operator. Now, it's one thing to recognize that he is the owner of our life, bought us at Calvary. It's another thing to recognize his operation, he, that he's the operator of one's life. You've seen the big signs on windows? Open under what? Open under new management. Now what happens when you walk an aisle of a church is this, that you are saying to God, do you really mean it? I am surrendering my life to the ownership of God and I am submitting myself to His management. He's going to take it over. Now I know that's kind of frightening and threatening to some of us, but I tell you the greatest news I could have from this pulpit this morning is this, that the Lord wants to take over the management of your life. Good news. Glorious news that is. The servant's knee is always bent. One final thought. The servant's tongue is always confessing him as Lord. Verse 12, verse 11. Every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That means Madeline Murray O'Hara. I hear she's opening up an atheist bookstore in Denver, Colorado. Southern Baptists have bookstores we got frisbees in them. And not, you know, books, we got books, but we do have frisbees and we got keychains, you know, Jesus keychains and Jesus frisbees. I guess Madeline Murray O'Hara is going to have uh, atheist frisbees and atheist keychains. What a calling! God's called me to have an atheist bookstore in Denver, Colorado. One of these days, Madeline Murray O'Hara will call him Lord. 
Nietzsche. Nietzsche, who said that God was dead, one day he's going to be surprised to find that he's very much alive. He's going to call him Lord. Lord to the glory of God the Father. God's going to get glory when all these jerks call him Lord. When I was pastor out there and uh, going to seminary, I took some people down to, uh, out to Glorietta. And I went in this conference, true story, I lie not. It's not a ministerial story. I told them this morning that whenever you say that, that gives reason to believe that some might be, you know, ministerial story. <laughs> it is not a ministerial story. I'm stretching an inch. I, I took uh, some people out to Glorietta and I went in this conference on how to win souls, how to win people to Christ. And in this conference, this guy talked about the close, how to, how, to, how, to, how to get a decision. After you've given the plan of salvation, the Roman road or whatever, he told how to, how to, bring, how to get a close. He was a staff member of the, of the home mission board. He said this. He said, when you give the invitation, when you present time for the decision, he said, you, you give, you give the, the, the invitation, you ask the person if he wants to be saved, and then you, 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 you'll be silent. You won't say anything. Sounded good. So I came back to Lipan, Texas, and I was an old man in my church, elderly man, came to my church, lost man. I loved him like a grandfather. Came to every service. He was my friend. He came Sunday morning, he came Sunday night, he came Wednesday night. And I witnessed to him a lot of times, but I had, I, this was different. So I'd learned this technique. So I went out to him and out to his house and he and I, it was a Saturday afternoon, he and I were alone. His wife, he was a widower. I presented the plan of salvation, asked him if he would like to accept Jesus into his heart. He dropped his head and said nothing. And so I didn't either. I'd learned, don't say anything. So I just sat there and he sat there. And it seemed like days we sat there. You could hear the grandfather clock ticking. You could hear everything. It was totally silent. He just sat there with his head down. I just sat there staring at him. Ten minutes went by. Nobody said a word. Thirty minutes went by. Nobody said a word. We just sat there. He never looked up. I never looked away. Just staring, <laughs> staring at him. After about thirty minutes, his daughter drove up in the yard. He got up without saying a word, went out to receive her, and I left. It was, as like, it was like he was petrified. It was like his tongue was, was frozen. He got up and he went out and greeted his daughter, and I left. Wasn't long till I moved from that church field. Wasn't long till he died. That was 23 years ago. That's 8,395 days. That dear old man has been in hell. And every day that you and I enjoy your, our family, the love of a family, he's separated from his. And every day that you and I go along aware of God's presence and blessing, he cries out 
in his separation from God. And every day you and I enjoy 8,395 days. I've enjoyed health and happiness. He's enjoyed unequivocal suffering and loneliness. For 23 years, he's been in hell. And when our Lord comes back in glory, in great glory, that man will call him Lord. His tongue will be released. He'll be free to say it, and he'll must say it. He will call him Lord. But I won't find any comfort in that for myself. I don't find any comfort in that for myself because I know that when he does then, it's too late. The servant's tongue is always confessing him, Lord, Lord. Say you want to be a servant? Do you really? Servant's head is always bowed. Say you want to be a servant? Do you really? The servant's heart is always yielded. You say you want to be a servant? Do you really? The servant's knee is bent. He is the authority. You say you want to be a servant? The servant's tongue calls him Lord to the glory of God the Father. you pray with me? Father, I thank you for the fact that we can bow our head, yield our heart, bend our knee, confess that there is still time for us. And I pray, Lord, that the bent, unbent knee, the unbowed head, the unyielded heart present in this place would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I pray for decisions, Lord, of servanthood, humility. This is my prayer in Jesus' name. Now there are three invitations. Listen, listen here, look. An invitation this morning for you to bow before the Father, submitting your heart and life to Him for salvation. You've lived in rebellion against God. That's what sin is. And you want to come this morning to say, I submit myself to Him. I trust Him. I yield my heart to Him. I give Him the throne. There may be some this morning who need to come to place their membership here, their life here. Or there might be some who want to come this morning to say, I want to surrender myself to servanthood, as a servant to the, to the ownership and the control of the Lord. I want you to do it this morning. I told him in the first service that sometimes, you know, this week while I was preaching, gave an invitation, just about everybody in the service, little little community, you know, everybody had made a decision, a revival, just about. 
I was wondering, I was sitting there one night during the invitation, like, what am I doing this for? Well, because every, every message, the purpose of it is to get, is to bring people to a decision concerning the will of God for their life. Now, there might be some this morning who need to come publicly. And I want you to know that we're praying you'll do that. And we'll encourage you as the best we can while we stand to sing. We invite you to come.